Welcome back to Chin Music, our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. Today's lineup, former Twins star, current Twins broadcaster, Roy Smalley. I'm Jim Suhan from Star Tribune. Uh, Lavelle might be joining us or might wait another week, uh, but I wanted to talk to Roy about the biggest story of the offseason. Yeah, we still hope the Twins do something, just so we have something to talk about uh, here in the near future, and so they you know, pique the interest of their fans. I still think they're going to make a trade for a pitcher at some point. Uh, I also don't know if they're going to make a free agent move. But l- let's be honest. The, the real story of the Twins offseason is this. Will Joe Maurer go into the Hall of Fame? We're talking here on Friday. On Tuesday, we will get final word. I do think he's going to get in. I do think he's going to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. But, Roy, what I want to talk about today is it's very easy over the course of a long career especially when that career includes injuries and some performance dips, uh, to forget about what kind of a story we're talking about here. Let, let's reset everything here. Joe Maurer grew up as a Twins fan. He played baseball on the Sandlots. Uh, he went to Twins games. He could have gone to Florida State and been a quarterback. He could have gone – the NFL route. He was an excellent basketball player. He's, his career could have taken a lot of different paths. Instead, he gets drafted first overall by his hometown team, becomes a superstar, and is going to go to in the Hall of Fame maybe as a first ballot Hall of Famer for his hometown team, having played only for his hometown team. I, I just think sometimes we need to, to pull the camera back, go back in time, and remember what a remarkable story this is. Well, it truly is, um, it, you know, a, a story that you could almost uh, characterize as uh, it's, it's a fairy tale. I mean, fairy book kind of. Um, it, it's um, it's really incredible to have watched him. And, and there are a lot of people in this town that have watched him all of those years that you're uh, to which you refer. And and uh, the excitement now about him going to the Hall of Fame uh, is is high for all of us. Having watched him and have and knowing that he's a Hall of Fame caliber player, had a Hall of Fame caliber career, but I, I just think about his family. I think about all the people that have watched him, you know, play basketball in high school, football in high school, and and uh, uh, come up to the big leagues uh, after the Twins had traded away a solid uh, and still um, uh, productive big league catcher in AJ Brzezinski and and the pressure that would have been on him just steps in and uh, becomes a Hall of, Hall of Fame caliber player immediately. I think about all the people that have watched all that and, and it, it, how how really cool that is. It's funny you bring up uh, Brzezinski's name. Uh, I remember talking to Brzezinski during Maurer's first big league training camp. And, you know, A.J. did not lack confidence. Uh, A.J. did not lack arrogance. A.J. uh, knew that Maurer was coming for his job eventually. We didn't know exactly how quickly it would happen. And A.J. said, uh, I was just just BSing with A.J. one day. And he said, yeah, I ended up in the batting cage over the minor league side with with Maurer, you know, before camp started. We're all just getting our hacks in. And I'm standing there watching him and going, this little bleeper does everything everything I've always tried to do with my swing and I can't do. <laughs> and he went into all these, you know, he you went know some what? There's about, stuff. there's about 10,000 major leaguers that would say other, other major leaguers would say the same thing. So. 
it was so funny. He was like, you know, the soft, you know, the soft front side and the ability to keep your hands back. It was, he went through like eight different mechanical things that is just, he said, you know, I'm always battling against every day of my life. I'm battling against doing the wrong things. And here's Maurer, you know, here's this kid and he just does it all right. Yeah, it was remarkable. The swing that he came up with, uh, came to big leagues with that. If you, if you see some of the old video, their family video of watching him hit wiffle balls when he was about six, there's, there's no difference. I mean, sometimes people are born uh, with genius and genius can take an awful lot. Um, it, it have a lot of different characteristics and take a lot of different paths. We think about genius as, as uh, you know, mental intellectual uh, genius, obviously, but there's genius in so many things about, uh, about life uh, activities and experiences. There's comic genius and there's uh, athletic genius and there's business genius and there's, you know, athletic genius. And uh, some people are, are born with that. You, you don't see, a lot. Speaking of baseball genius and hitting genius, you don't see um, very many players when you go back and see old old videos. Um, and I'm just talking about high school or college or, or minor leagues or, or first coming to the big leagues. You don't, let alone a six year old or an eight year old. I mean, you just don't see someone doing everything genius level correct. You know, right from the from the time they picked up a bat, and uh, Joe uh, did that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, this is TalkNorth.com. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. If you like this show, as so many people do, please subscribe at your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's the easiest way to listen. If you go to TalkNorth.com, you'll find other shows you like. John Krasinski on the Wolves, Russo on Hockey, uh, Jeff Diamond on the Vikings, the former Vikings general manager, the Viking Update show, Mike Grimm's Go Gopher podcast, Dave Lee, outdoor content. Uh, you know, I'm forgetting about uh, New Dawn of Sports, which has been fantastic. We've done a lot on women's sports and women, pe- women in sports media lately. Uh, that's been a great show. We appreciate you listening. Uh, again, subscribe to any shows you like uh, and tell, tell people about it. We are still, still growing and still spreading the word. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Um, and thanks to Aquarius Home Services. We're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studios. We also want to thank longtime sponsor across the board, TSR Injury Law, 612-TSR-TIME. This is bringing back all kinds of memories that I I didn't really intend, but I'm sitting here and I'm remembering all the stories I did about Mauro when he was young, his first, you know, hung out with him and his, his brother, some during their first training camp. And I remember Jake always telling me stories. You know, Joe was the baby. And it was, I mean, Joe's mom was a great athlete. Joe's dad was a good athlete. You know, Jake won a, a national championship at St. Thomas as a second baseman. I mean, they were always very good athletes. And I, I remember them telling me the story that after Joe played a little league or a traveling game, the family would come home and basically the entire family would surround Joe and just berate him over any little mistake he made in his little league game. How can you call an O2 curve to a guy who can't catch up to the fastball? Why did you backhand that ball? You got to get your butt over and block it with the glove vertically. And, and I'm just so not only did this guy have incredible DNA and talent and genius, he also had an entire family basically putting him through boot camp every day. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, go into the makeup of a um, 
uh, of uh, anybody, that, but especially an athlete. And and um, the uh, great uh, great genes is one thing, and uh, the right kind of uh, mental and emotional support or um, or toughness, whatever it is, it, it goes into it as well. And you know, there are a lot of kids that. Uh, would not have taken well to that kind of um, <laughs> that kind of scrutiny uh, from the whole family, and and uh, obviously uh, personality goes into uh, the makeup of a you know hall of famer and, uh, as well. And Joe's you know his even keel uh, happy general happy personality. I mean, it, it evidently he just stood there and took it from everybody and. And uh, got better and better with, uh, with every uh, passing day. So all, all cool stories. Another aspect of Joe's career I want to get to, uh, obviously, past 2010, especially, let's say, 2011, really, started having the mystery ailments. Uh, you know, I always thought it was a back, but, it, you know, he never really wanted to talk about it. He never really detailed it too much, which led to the infamous uh, phrase uh, bilateral leg weakness, which is not a thing. Uh, you know, I think he did have some leg weakness. I think he had some back problems that led to all that, whatever. 2011 on, he wasn't quite the same hitter um, because of physical reasons. But I also wonder how much of it had to do with just ballpark factor. You watched Joe hit in the Metrodome. And not only was it, uh, you know, could you squeeze a line drive over the fence for a home run, but you had hard turf. His ground balls scooted through the infield. His line drives scooted past outfielders. His home runs got over that fence. Or if he pulled the ball, it was a fairly short porch to right. If he hit a line drive to right, it was a double. How much do you think ballpark factor had to do with some of his offensive decline? I think it had a big. It was a big factor. There's there's no doubt in my mind it was a big factor. Um, balls that he would hit for outs, long fly, long line drives, uh, high line drives, and fly balls to left field and left center. That he that went out of the ballpark in the Metrodome, and frankly, other places uh, around the league. It wasn't just the fact that it, you know uh, Target Field was, you know, the ball didn't carry as well to left field. It, um, it, it, he hit, um, or I mean, that was a that was an issue that the ball didn't carry well to left field for him. Other places, Metrodome was certainly, but other places around the league, the ball carried out to left field uh, for him. Uh, the uh, high wall in right center hurt every and continues to hurt every left-hand hitter that there is, uh, especially especially with the Twins. It hurt Joe uh, an awful lot, and I think the turf uh, made a difference. But the the combination, the biggest biggest thing, was the combination of turf and the uh, implementation of the of the shift as well, and the, the defensive shifts um, saw. A lot of Joe singles turned into uh, uh, four to three or six to three uh, outs in the infield, and so there's a, there were a combination of uh, of things. When it, for whatever reason, and we've all heard the the infamous and hilarious Jason Giambi uh, concrete's got to dry out story in a new in a new stadium. Why balls don't carry uh, very well? But there's no question that the ball. <clears throat> Whether the balls were juiced or not, there's no question the ball did not carry as well the first three years in, uh, in Target Field as they do now, for example, and certainly didn't carry the way they, 
the, the way they would go out of the Metrodome and, and other places around the league. So I think there's a combination of environmental, external environmental factors that affected Joe an awful lot. Do you think, you know, the easy thing from the outside to say is, oh, you know, okay, you're hitting into the shift. Uh, it's a different ballpark. Adjust the way you swing. Is that Was that even possible with Joe, or was his swing just going to be his swing? I think his swing was uh, was his swing. Uh, they started uh, pitching him in a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Was not uh, comfortable, uh, with, nearly as comfortable trying to uh, to get the bat head out in front to to handle uh, inside fastballs. Was didn't mean he wasn't successful. He he could fight him off. Uh, he didn't make the leap to oh they're pitching me in that I'm going deep to my pull field. You know what I mean. Uh, that that some hitters do. He was his swing was a swing. His approach was his approach, and um, I, I think that that's you know it, 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 he was trying to hit the ball hard uh, through the middle of the diamond, which meant right center around a left field. Uh, we also have seen you know examples of uh, over the years of left fielders, especially Alex Gordon in Kansas City playing him on the left field line and standing in front of line drive doubles that should have been. Uh, there were a lot of things going on uh, like that. And I, I just don't think that uh, Joe ever felt like either he could or it was worth it to him to uh, to try and alter, you know, what was, you know, a Hall of Fame swing. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, well, I want to get into the TV situation with the Twins and Major League Baseball. First, though, we do want to let you know we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio, and we want to thank Aquarius Home Services. Scott for Aquarius, wishing you a happy new year. The new year often means a fresh start. How about your furnace? Does it need a fresh start? It's been working hard, and we all know there's a lot of winter left to go. With your safety and comfort as our top priority, Aquarius Home Services is offering $98 off any furnace repair. Be worry-free with your furnace. We're here to help and just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Aquarius, earning the right to be recommended. Also like to thank longtime sponsor TSR Injury Law. They sponsor a number of shows across the network and especially the John Krasinski show, our Timberwolves show, which does so well these days uh, with the Timberwolves just surging. Uh, all you need to remember, 612-TSR-TIME. If you're injured, call 612-TSR-TIME. They'll take good care of you, I guarantee it. If, and they won't charge you unless you win your case, and they win a lot of cases. That's why they're such a great success story. So thanks to Aquarius. Thanks to TSR Injury Law. Thanks to everyone who listens. We do appreciate it. So we are in the midst here of finding out what's going to happen. Uh, the latest news development on the TV front is that Diamond Sports is has found some investors uh, they are thinking they might not have to just uh, give up. They want to broadcast the Twins and other teams, uh, but they also have to deal with bankruptcy court and whether they're going about it the right way. Part of the new deal, if they get the deal they want, would also include some games streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, this is going to be a fairly fluid situation. So instead of talking about what has happened, which is still kind of up in the air, where, Roy, do you think things should end up? What's best for the Twins? What's best for the fans? What's best for Major League Baseball? Is it best if they eventually bring it in-house and have MLB just uh, broadcast all the games? Is it better if they do have, you know, a, a company they're working with? What do you think? You know, I really don't know what the ramifications of bringing it in-house. I, I don't think that it can be a local network, a, a Victory Sports Volume 2. I, 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 
that doesn't feel uh, to me like it makes sense economically and, and uh, or uh, to the number of fans that can that, that can see the the game. I think uh, the games, um, and I don't know about MLB and how that would how how well that would work. It, to me, it seems like uh, this is the the potential here with the it, with Amazon. You know, reportedly thinking about you know investing, uh, getting uh, Diamond Sports kind of uh, solvent, and the result being. Uh, games shown on cable TV and streamed uh, at the same time. I think that's the, I, I think about what's the best deal for the fans. Uh, the best deal for the fans is a the most people being able to see the games, and then b as a subset of that what's what's the, what are the economics of the deal so that the Twins have you know, enough local. Uh, TV money that they that, that it's meaningful to them from a from a payroll standpoint, and it feels to me like there's a chance with uh, with this deal. Don't you know? Don't know how it's going to say how it's going to shake out. But to answer the to answer your question, what the the best you know directly? Uh, some <laughs> let me sum up. Uh, most eyeballs being able to see it. Most most possible money for. Uh, you know, that makes sense for both sides. I really hate this era of sports uh, broadcasting. I don't even know if broadcasting is the right word anymore. Uh, it, it, you know, we have, you have women's sports starting up, and when they're on over-the-air broadcast networks, they do very well, and yet half the time you can't find the games or you have to pay an extra subscription fee to get to the, you know, get to the, the – uh, Big Ten Plus or the ESPN Plus that is carrying their game. That's bad for sports. It's bad for women's sports. It, and it's just ridiculous in this day and age that maybe your local Major League Baseball team's games are just not available to everybody. Uh, I may, And maybe I'm just living in a fantasy world, but it just seems like we got to get to a place where you can just watch the stinking games. I know people, even people in my business, who do not – get Valley sports, just not in their family budget. And so they don't watch the twins, the wild or the wolves. And they want to, um, I just, God, I wish we had the old system back where just these games were just over the air available to everybody. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, it, back in the, uh, back in my day, the, the old met, you, you know, the KMSP channel nine, you know, broadcasts all the games and, I mean, it was just, it was just, you could watch the games with an antenna, a TV with an antenna on it. You know I mean? It was, it was, uh, it was great. And I agree with you. I'm not a big fan of streaming. Part of that is just that, you know, just in my age and the technology and all that, it should be, it should be really easy. It, it, but it's, um, it, it's just an extra step and an ec- extra amounts of money for people. And uh, so I'm with you on that, but I think that, I think the ship has sailed, and and uh, I know Major League Baseball is very very keen on the whole streaming aspect of things. So I, I, I'm afraid that that is here to stay, and we're, we're going to have to figure out what a total package is. That that's why I'm wondering whether if it does become an Amazon or for Amazon Prime deal, um, in addition to um, in addition to uh, cable. If if that will ultimately you know not be better for for fans, I mean maybe you know maybe it will be maybe that 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 brings them in even with the even with the hassle and the expense maybe that 
the the the, uh, the streaming just you know for people that want to watch Twins games, for example, and don't want to do a, a big cable package, um, maybe that maybe it's more economical for them that way. I mean, they're sure going to try it. I think. Yeah, and I, and I'm I'm actually in favor of Amazon, not because of the quality of the broadcast. They obviously have to upgrade that, and well, of course they'd be picking up the local feed, which would be an upgrade in and of itself. But I'd be fine with that because it's it's just not that hard to access, and and again, I don't know. This is it's driven me absolutely crazy, and I'm I'm lucky, you know. I I, I get I get all the channels, I watch all the games, but I do feel for the fans who are always reaching out to me saying, "Hey, we, you know, this just doesn't work for us." Uh, anyway. Right. We will we'll get back to that as more news develops. Uh, kind of a slow week in baseball this week, so I thought we would. Uh, I thought we'd talk a little music, Roy. Uh, if unless you have uh, something you're dying to get to, I'll start it off. No, go ahead. So I heard a cool story the other day. Uh, you've heard the song "Boys of Summer" by Don Henley, I assume. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it's a great song. And I just kind of stumbled, uh, you know, I, I love Petty. I love Mike Campbell, Petty's guitarist, uh, Heartbreakers, the way that band came together, the way they thrived. And I, I just heard, came across this uh, Mike Campbell interview the other day, uh, kind of one of the most tasteful, great rock guitarists of all time. And he was talking about how that song came about. Do you know the story? I do not. Okay. So uh, he came up with this riff, just messed around at his home studio. I can't remember. I think it might've been a keyboard riff, in fact. Um, and he's, again, he's a guitarist. And he just kind of started playing those notes, just da-da-da-da-da-da, and started playing around with it. And he's like, it's three notes, right? But of course, most rock and roll is based on three notes or three chords. I mean, satisfaction, three notes. Yeah. So he's, he's playing around with it. He's going, I think I got something here. And he brings it to Petty and he plays it for him. Petty's like, uh, nope, nope, not doing it for me. And at that time, <laughs> at that time, it was Mike Campbell, I'm sure has made pretty good money as Petty's uh, you know, right-hand man in so many different ways. But at that point, uh, the, the family was a little tight on money and they had a, they bought a big house in Los Angeles. It was very expensive and he was worried he wouldn't be able to, to, to pay off the nut. And uh, he's pretty, pretty highly motivated to go out and make some money. So he, he calls up Don Henley and he says, Don, I got something I want to play for you. Goes to Don's house. They sit down in the living room or wherever, and he plays him just that riff. And he said, Henley just sits there and stares off into the distance and Campbell's sitting there going, okay, he hates it. Uh, this is a waste of time. And, you know, they say their goodbyes. He gets in his car. And he's like driving down whatever it is, Mulholland. And Henley calls him and says, you got to turn around. You got to come back. And in that time, Henley had started processing that little riff and thinking, "This actually, yeah, I can, I can work with this." And not that long, much later, Henley has written an entire song to go with that riff. He and Campbell have put that song together, and it was like the impetus for for Henley putting together his most popular solo album. It ends up being this huge hit. It ends up paying off Mike Campbell's house, and I just, I just love. I love getting these glimpses into the creative process of some of the greats because it's not just go, it's not nine to five, go to work, punch the clock, try to do a song. The, this stuff could come out of it anywhere. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. I've never heard that. And, it, it, and so I'm assuming that Campbell played the uh, lead guitar on that song for Henley. He did, yes. Yeah, because now that you say that, I mean, you can absolutely, 
I mean, I, I've got it in my mind. You can absolutely hear, um, you know, riffs and style uh, on that song from Campbell that, you know, you heard in, uh, with Heartbreakers. I and mean, that, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, I can hear it play as day now. Yeah, yeah, it's just a fantastic song. And yeah, you hear you hear them. Mike, I mean, so many guitarists of Mike Campbell's generation were shredders or they were flamboyant or their their guitar kind of led the way in their band. And Campbell always just had this way of playing just enough, you know, just loud enough, just yeah. aggressively enough. Just it, everything he did was to serve the song. And man, you hear it in that song just as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. That's kind of what I was from a style standpoint. Yeah, that I was I was getting at, and and you know, and you're right about his economy too. I mean, I just think it was, you know, it was perfect. It's fun to also think about, you know, all all kinds of different musicians about which that thing has been said. When when Charlie Watts died, and there yep. and the, the drummer for the Stones, and and you know who. Um, I fell in love with as a junior high school kid in 1964, uh, <laughs> but and listened to him, you know, his whole life and and my life, my whole life until until he passed. And and people said that and it was true about Charlie Watts's playing. He always did what was required. He always did exactly. He always played the drums, you know, behind and over and through those songs exactly what was needed uh the perfect uh, the perfect kinds of uh either you know uh loud or soft uh, complex or simple whatever that whatever was the perfect perfect uh drum beat for and style for uh, whatever stone song it was he was he delivered that and, and uh, i i just think it's really fun to you know to hear stories about that that kind of thing, whether it's the creative process, like the, you know, the, creating the song, or or whether it's a, about what musicians are actually doing as part of a as part of a team, and, and it's uh, it's cool. That's cool stuff. Yeah, and one of the reasons the Stones sounded different than most bands is the drummer followed the rhythm guitarist. In most bands, the rhythm guitarist and the bass. The rhythm guitarist kind of follows the rhythm section, follows the the drums and the bass. They set the pace, and the guitar's job is to overlay. You know, Keith Richards' guitar is the heart of the Stones, and Charlie would follow him, which almost gave it this like slightly delayed syncopated beat yeah. that you wouldn't get with just playing straight rock drums. Yeah, it really got it's really really true, and and. Uh... Uh, I, I I think about back uh, again uh, when the um, when uh, Fleet the 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 latest version of Fleetwood Mac uh, came out when they added uh, Lindsey Buckingham and and Stevie Nicks and and uh, the Rumors album came out and everybody's from then on everybody talking about what a great rhythm section that was with. Uh, Fleetwood and McVeigh, you know, in drums and and bass, and then and then Lindsey Buckingham. And, you know, people went on and on about the rhythm section. It used to just make me laugh. It's like, really, the best rock and roll rhythm section ever. And 
you, and you're you're now uh, throwing uh, Charlie Watts and uh, Keith Richard and and Bill Wyman on base to, in the trash heap. You got to be kidding me. There's a reason why the Stones are the greatest rock and roll band ever is because of because of those three guys. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, hey, uh, anything you want to bring up, Roy, before we go? Either uh, baseball or pop culture or music? Uh, no, I think we. Uh, I, I think I, I like. I'd like to end on uh, on your story and and just uh, you know corollaries to uh, that kind of music. So, uh, a great story. Thanks for thanks for sharing that one. Sure. And uh, next week we'll talk more about Joe Maurer, uh, his expected induction or whatever his situation may be. Uh, it'll be, you know, I, I think at some point uh, in the near future, we're going to see an emotional Joe Maurer. I kind of look forward to that. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah that, that's something that you would, uh, I, that might be the first time I've ever heard that sentence. Of. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll end there. Thanks to everyone who listens. We appreciate it. We'll be back with more on Joe the twins and everything else soon.